I'm reading from Acts chapter 9, which is entitled The Conversion of Saul. In the meantime, Saul kept up his violent threats of murder against the followers of the Lord. He went to the high priests and asked for letters of introduction to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he should find there any followers of the way of the Lord, he would be able to arrest them, both men and women, and bring them back to Jerusalem. As Saul was coming near the city of Damascus, suddenly a light from the sky flashed round him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, he asked. I am Jesus, whom you persecute, the voice said. But get up and go into the city where you will be told what you must do. The men who were travelling with Saul had stopped, not saying a word. They heard the voice but could not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and opened his eyes but could not see a thing. So they took him by hand and led him into Damascus. For three days he was not able to see And during that time, he did not eat or drink anything. There was a Christian in Damascus named Ananias. He had a vision in which the Lord said to him, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, get ready and go to Straight Street and at the house of Judas, ask for a man from Tarsus, named Saul. He is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he might see again. Ananias answered, Lord, many people have told me about this man and about all the terrible things he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come to Damascus with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who worship you. The Lord said to him, Go, because I have chosen him to serve me, to make my name known to the Gentiles and kings and to the people of Israel. And I myself will show him all that he must suffer for my sake. So Ananias went, entered the house where Saul was, and placed his hands on him. Brother Saul, he said, the Lord has sent me, Jesus himself, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes And he was able to see. He stood up and was baptised. And after he had eaten, his strength came back. Well, today you're starting a new series on the life of Paul, using some passages from Acts. And it'll go through to almost the end of July, with a few different weeks here and there. And the themes of the passages have all been set by Kate for you. 
This is what she believes is right for us to hear. Uh, and today we've, I've called it uh, Blinded by the Light. Sorry, Kate has called it Blinded by the Light. She even gave us some titles as well. Uh, now, my wife has got an interesting bag. Um, interesting in the fact that it's double-sided. Turn it inside out. Well, it doesn't look like it's inside out. It's just like a different bag, a different pattern. I'm told you can get coats like that too. You can wear them uh, two ways round. Wear them either inside out or outside in. It doesn't matter. Uh, And when you turn them out, they don't become unwearable. Uh, They just become a different experience, a different way of looking at the coat. And what I want to do today is to turn this story that we've read inside out and see the story of Paul's conversion uh, in another way. Because the trouble with this story is that we find it difficult to relate to. I was never a persecutor of the church. You know, I've never been one signing people's death warrants wanting to kill Christians. I know there are people like that. I know there are terrible, wicked sinners, but not me. I just wasn't bothered about God. I was just trying to do the best I could on my own. And then this Paul sees a great light, hears a voice, is blinded on this Damascus Road experience. We know that there are people that that happens to, but it doesn't happen to me. It's not my experience. I haven't seen any great blinding lights in the sky. I haven't heard voices. The only people who hear voices in my experience are those who need psychological help because they're disturbed. So it's not easy to relate to this story. We know it's happened to others. We're glad it's happened to others. But it's not the story of most of us here in church this morning. So that's why I'm going to turn it inside out like the bag or coat and see it from the other side. Not so much about what's going on with Paul, much more about what's going on with God. And by the way, I know that there was a name change, that Paul was originally called Saul and his name was changed to Paul. But I'm going to call him Paul all the way through this morning, uh, just so that you know whether he's the one person that we're talking about. I know he had two names, we're just going to use one this morning. So the first thing I want to say is that God includes Paul in his purposes. Once upon a time, I was a teacher. If I'd had Paul in my class, I'd have probably tried long and hard to get him excluded. Paul was a constant irritation to God. He was fighting against God and the church with vigour and with passion. He was a consistent pain. He was a threatening presence, always causing trouble, always planning trouble. He was present as a young man at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the first people the church appointed to do its practical tasks. We would call them deacons probably today. And Saul was there as Stephen was stoned to death. Saul was a kind of apprentice. He was on cloakroom duty that day, looking after their coats, but being trained up as a destroyer of the church. Not long after the death of Stephen, Paul was going from house to house, dragging out Christians, sending them off to jail, probably to be tortured and maybe even to die. And in this chapter, his heart is set on murder, He's asking for letters, he wants a wider brief, he wants to round up the Christians and quite sensibly the Christians had scattered. 
He wants to round them up and bring them to prison, torture and death. He wasn't a very nice man. He wasn't somebody you want to meet in the dark on the way home from a prayer meeting in Cottenham. And having done his stuff in Jerusalem, he wants to do the same stuff in Damascus. So me, I'll collect up all this evidence and try and have him excluded permanently if possible. He's a danger to society. He needs to be avoided at all costs. If you see him, don't tackle him, don't touch him. Yet God includes him. And God doesn't just include him on the edge. He is at the very centre of God's plan and God's purposes for the church. Because God can see what we can't see at this stage. God can see the passion, the commitment, the devotion to what Paul thought at that time was right. And God knew the problem was not his character. He wasn't an evil man. His problem was he was on the wrong side. He got the gospel totally wrong. He thought Jesus was a threat to the God he loved and served with passion. He had no idea that Jesus was the Messiah that God had sent into the world. So the answer that God has is not to exclude him as I want to do, but to include him and help him see the error of his ways and to see the truth that he's missed so far. Now, including Paul was hard. For God to bear. It meant he had to endure his awfulness, his wickedness, the pain that he caused the church. God had to bear with that so that Paul can be redeemed and rescued from himself. The church found it very hard to include Paul to start with. Was his conversion real? They were suspicious. Was this a plot? You can't blame them for that. But God included Paul. He's the same God who includes you and me. And your life may also be hard for God to endure at times. But God doesn't give up on you. God doesn't exclude you. God includes you. God sees your potential, the possibility that you have, and God wants to make you part of his plan and purposes. He's the God who includes And then, secondly, I want to say he's the God who interrupts. Because here's Paul going about his wicked business, riding to Damascus to destroy the church there, to persecute Christians in Damascus, ancient city. We still hear about it in the news today. It was about a 150-mile journey by horse. That wasn't easy. And he was almost there when God interrupted the journey. Now look, I don't know what the blinding light was, but it was enough to throw Paul off his horse and to take away his eyesight and probably to give him a real dose of post-traumatic stress. And there was the voice heard by others as well as by Paul. No one there, a voice without anybody being there. I don't know what it was, but they were all shaken by that inexplicable event. And what was going on? Well, God was breaking into Paul's life as he can do and as he does. He was interrupting Paul on his evil mission, stopping him in his tracks, doing something to gain his attention in order to set Paul on the right path, a very different path to the one he was taking. And God knew exactly how to do that in a way that Paul would listen to and respond to. He's the same God who put a burning bush in front of Moses in the Old Testament 
to, to attract Moses' attention and to give Moses a new calling. And I believe that same God interrupts you and me as we go about our lives in a way that we respond to. He interrupts us with a new calling, a new challenge, a new possibility. It may take you by surprise, but interrupting you in a language you understand is something that God does best. And I say to you sometimes, watch out for God's interruptions. And what God is doing is illuminating, illuminating Paul's darkness. Paul might be blinded, but that will pass. In his heart and soul, he sees something he's not seen before. He understands how mistaken he's been, how wrong it was to persecute Jesus and his church. He's seen that he was on the wrong path, taking the wrong route. Now, it looks as if that all happened in a millisecond. It probably was a longer process than you think. You see, the stoning of Stephen was a heart-wrenching affair. Stephen didn't die shouting curses and threats as people normally did. He died so much like Jesus, praying for his persecutors, asking that the Lord would receive his spirit. And I think that death would have had an impact on Paul. Yes, he approved of the murder, but did a battle start in his conscience? Was the dying witness of Stephen beginning to take effect on the Damascus Road? Had there been thoughts that he tried to suppress that that had kept nagging away at his heart and his conscience, challenging him, causing him to be uncertain inside? And finally, having gone through all that inner searching and soul-wrenching, God shines light on his darkness. So he can see what is what for the first time. So he can see the the right and the wrong path. So he can see what a fool he's been. So he can see who Jesus really is. See the harm he'd done, even if he'd done it in good faith. And God does that for you and for me. He illuminates, he shines into our darkness. And we begin to see things that are wrong, that we've been pretending they're okay. We've been trying to kid ourselves that it's all right. And God shines his light in and says... That's my light. We've been hoping beyond hope it's all going to be all right and God shines his light in so that we can see wrong for what it is. Disobedience to God's holy will. And God shines his light into our lives in many and different ways. Ways that we understand are ways we can respond to. You may not respond well to blinding lights and voices in the sky but he'll put things before you through things that you read, through people that you meet, the voice of a stranger, the voice of a friend, the voice of a preacher, the voice of someone in church. He will illuminate the things he wants to draw your attention to. He'll do it when and how he chooses. But watch out for the God who wants to bring light into your darkness. And finally, God involves somebody else to help and support him in this, Ananias. God never expected Paul to make it as a Christian on his own. That would have been far too hard a road to travel. Anyway, we're not meant to be Christians in isolation. We're called to belong to a group of people who encourage and help and nurture each other. And God's got his support team ready in Ananias. 
And God had already prepared Ananias for his job. God had interrupted him as well. And no doubt Ananias had lots of things to do, but God spoke to him and God came to him in a vision and God gave him specific instructions as to what he was to do and where he was to go. And Ananias was ready, he was available, and he was obedient to that rather strange vision. He didn't understand it all, but he was ready to do what God asked. And I think in many ways Ananias is the hero of the story. Because have you wondered what would have happened if Ananias hadn't responded to God? If he hadn't have gone to meet Paul? If he'd have been afraid that this was just a ruse to get him arrested? He must have asked the question. Could Paul have made it on his own? I'm not sure he could. Could he have persuaded the church that he was here uh, because he was a convert, not a persecutor? I'm not sure he could have done that. But Ananias was the oil that enabled the gear wheels of God's plan and purposes to move and work together. It depended on him. And he was well informed. He knew Paul's history. He knew why he'd come to Damascus. Yet he was still obedient to the call of God. And God gave him insight into God's plan, a heart and purposes for this man, Paul. So Ananias goes to the place where Paul is staying. He's at that moment still bewildered. He's still blind. And Ananias reaches out his hand and greets him as a brother. Do you know that was an act of faith? Yeah, it's an act of faith that we're all challenged to take at some times. To put our prejudices aside to forget what other people are saying and to reach out our hand with warmth and love and greetings to somebody who may not expect it, to somebody who thinks that the the love of God will just reject him. It's not an uncommon thing for God to say, go and greet with love and warmth and affection. We must be ready to do that as Ananias did. And Ananias was just the right person to help Paul at that time. But I find it strange we never hear of him again. Paul talks about him on the two occasions he gives his testimony. He talks about the key role Ananias played. But beyond that, we hear nothing else of him. You you might have thought that Paul would have mentioned him in his letters. He might have met him in his travels. Uh, But there's no further mention of Ananias at all. He disappears but he was the right link in the chain at the right time. And then there would be other links and other people and other ministries that helped Paul on his way. Had he not done his bit, then the chain would have been broken and the story of Paul might have ended with him blind and bewildered. You know, sometimes I think we actually want more than we're being asked to do. We don't want to be just one link in a chain. We want to be the link, the important link, the golden link. We want the respect, the kudos, the the acknowledgement of what we've done. But sometimes we simply have to do our bit there and then and then others take over. And we have to move on and let God use us in other and different ways. Now in this account that we've read, the ministry of Ananias is abbreviated. There's so much more to say, but there's no room for details. But it involved prayer, didn't it? Praying that his sight would be returned. It involved 
praying that God would fill Paul with his spirit. It involved food and a period of rest as Paul got back on his feet again. And I love the combination of prayer and food. We're called on to minister both physically and spiritually. We miss out if we only do one or the other. And it also included baptism. I don't expect Paul knew anything about baptism, so Ananias had to tell him about it and get ready and find water and arrange for his baptism. And you know, God needs people who will challenge people to baptism. It doesn't just come from preachers in the pulpit. It's people who will say to someone, surely you should be thinking about baptism. And so gradually Paul gets involved in the church. People are amazed at his speaking gift. Although his friends had to organise his escape at Damascus over the walls in a basket, a rather dramatic event that I have no doubt Ananias had a key role in organising. So turning the bag inside out, seeing the other side, we see a story of what God did and what God still does today. God includes us, all of us. Sometimes God will interrupt our routine with a call. God will illuminate our wrongness. He'll call us to a new path and always involve others in that. And that's very relevant. That's very practical. And that's bang up to date for Christians in Cottenham.